This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Summer Isle Orchards. Summer Isle Orchards, from the island famous for its fruit and vegetables. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, a double feature. With 1973's and 2006's The Wicker Man. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Name the movie. Scream. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Wicker Man question. Okay. What is the name... Of the young girl who went missing. Rowan. Do you remember her last name in the original movie? It's different in the remake. Morrison? That is right. Good job. Well, I have it written down. (laughs) It changes in the remake and for a particular reason, which we'll get to when we get there. So let's talk about the first movie, 1973's The Wicker Man. Based originally on a novel by David Pinner called Ritual, a screenplay was written by Paul Myersberg, which was never actually made, and then that screenplay inspired Anthony Schaefer, who wrote this screenplay. It was directed by Robin Hardy and stars Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee, Diane Salento, Britt Eklund, and Ingrid Pitt. What is The Wicker Man about? A police officer is sent to an island in Scotland to investigate a missing girl, and the movie is about him looking for her. The movie is $4 to rent and $6 to buy on iTunes and Vudu. Should people watch The Wicker Man, Kelsey? I feel like it's so highly regarded that you should probably see it just to have seen it. Yeah. Especially if you've only seen the remake, (laughs) I think, because this one's different in important ways. I feel like this one is much more efficient and effective than the remake is. Uh, Well, yeah, but I feel like the remake had different intentions. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) We'll get to the remake after we're done talking about this one. But so you think if you haven't seen it, see it? Just if you are a horror fan, you should probably see this movie. Oh, they're listening to the show. They probably are. I would assume so, yes. (laughs) You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1973's The Wicker Man. Welcome, fool. I believe in the life eternal, as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Sergeant Howie, West Highland Police. I am here to investigate the disappearance of Rowan Morrison. 
If she existed, we would know. You suspect foul play. I suspect murder. Sergeant, to favor you. I will go back to the mainland. You would be around here on needy. Hail the Queen of the Bay! Pagan! Where is Rowan Morrison? Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. You simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice. Kelsey, the movie starts with the title card. What doth it say? Oh, I don't know. I do. Okay. The movie starts with the title card that says the producer would like to thank the Lord Summer Isle and the people of his island off the west coast of Scotland for this privileged insight into their religious practices and for their generous cooperation in the making of the film. Oh, that's right. I remember you pointing that out to me and I was like, are they like making a joke that it's supposed to be real? Right. Like, I feel like this would have been really interesting and effective if there was sort of any pretense to this being a documentary. Right. Or found footage. Or something, but it's not. It's entirely dramatized. There's obviously no film crew that's supposed to be there diegetically. So, what the fuck is this title card about? I don't know. Anyway, past the title card, what happens? Can you get us started? We hear this, I suppose, a folk traditional folk song from Scotland. Yes, actually, that's specifically right. It's a uh, it's a song written by Robbie Burns, famous Scottish poet. He's the guy who once said, the best laid plans of mice and men gang after Glay. That's Robbie Burns. He, oh. Yeah. So that's why oft go wrong is what he means, but gang after Glay is what he says because he's very Scottish <laughs> uh, and from the 1700s. So the language was different. But in any case, it is the lyrics are actually written by Robbie Burns, but it's performed and turned into a song like a modern folk song by Paul Giovanni called Corn Rigs. And that song, man. Corn Rigs and Barley Rigs and Corn Rigs are Bonnie. Yes. Corn Rigs and Barley Rigs and Corn Rigs are Bonnie. I'll not forget that happy night among the rigs with Annie. So Bonnie, beautiful, obviously. Rigs are the rows. It's the little hills that you see in rows of like corn Mm -hmm. and barley, Mm -hmm. I guess. And so when he's with, I think it's Annie amongst the rigs, he's saying he's fucking Annie in the corn. (laughs) And that's pretty awesome is basically what he's saying. (laughs) But yeah, it plays throughout this. Opening sequence where we're watching our main character on a seaplane. <laughs> fly in on his own. <laughs> I guess he knows how to fly a plane. <laughs> but okay. And so he lands in at this island. And when he gets out of the seaplane, he asks for them to send over a dinghy. And they won't send him one. They really won't do it. Yeah. Uh, and he 
has to resort to, I am a police officer. If you don't give me a dinghy, I'm going to have to get the officers out here. Yeah. And he does, this happens a lot throughout the film. He's constantly like, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to get somebody down here. And it's like, they keep telling him, leave and go home. Mm. And I don't understand if they just assume he's not going to. Because they kind of need him to stay. Yes. So, I mean, that's, I guess, a problem with both movies is it's one of those mysteries that's set up that by the time the twist is revealed, it makes the rest of the movie not make sense and like behaviors of other characters. Yeah. And this movie is one of those. And you might be able to twist and turn the plot into knots to rationalize it. But in any case, it's going to be a stretch. And that's probably this movie's biggest problem is the actual reality of what's going on is so neat and clean. It's not complex at all. No. But it makes certain things that happen in this movie not make any fucking sense. Yes. So I Such mean, as them it. telling him, turn around and leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're gonna, people are gonna say, well, they're fucking with him. Like, they don't, uh, they need him to insist on coming. He doesn't need to insist on coming to be coming of his own volition. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's a bad excuse for the script. I mean, you. I guess you could argue that it's kind of like the Harbinger. You have to make the choice. Yeah. But. That's not what they're doing here. <laughs> it seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Anyway, they eventually send him a dinghy and he says there is a missing child and I have been sent here to find it. And he gets onto the island, and he shows them this picture, and they barely look at it, and they're just like, we don't know her. We haven't seen her. She doesn't exist. And they keep telling him, go back to the mainland. They'll be able to find her. There's no person like that here. He eventually says, her name is Mae Morrison. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know her. No, what happens is he says her name is is Rowan Morrison. They go, oh, well, there is a Mae Morrison. Yes, and then as he's walking away, they say, but that's not her daughter. Yeah. The mother's name is May Morrison. Oh, oh. May. She quite slipped oh. my memory. Of course we've got May. She keeps the post office in the high street. May Morrison. You're quite sure? Quite sure. Well, thank you for your help. That's not May's daughter, though. And this makes sense. That that's not her daughter part, they explain that. Oh, no, I get that. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I'm just saying, like, they just give him all the reason in the world to leave. Yeah. So he goes to find Mae Morrison, and he's like, I've been told that your daughter is missing. And and she's like, my daughter's not missing. She's right inside. And he comes inside, and it's like, this isn't the girl in the picture. And she's like, yeah, because that's not my daughter. So he sits down with this girl, whose name is Myrtle, and... They've got like hairs all over the place, and like he says, Oh, a rabbit. And she goes, No, it's a hair. Yes. And then the little girl is drawing a hair. Yes. And then later. We see a hair in the movie later. Yeah. And also, like, he asks her, Do you know Rowan? And she says, Of course I do. And he goes, Well, where is she? And he says, She says, She's in the fields. And he's like, Why? Should we get her in here for tea? And she's like, hairs don't drink tea. Like, yes. I don't know what it is with hairs in this family. Yeah. Do you, um, do you know Rowan? Of course I do. You do? 
course I do, silly. And uh, do you know where she is now? In the fields. She runs and plays there all day. Is she? Do you think she'll be coming back for tea? Tea? Hares don't have tea, silly. So just for those of you that don't know, a hare is basically an overgrown rabbit. <laughs> They are shaped, I mean, you look at them and you're like, that's a rabbit, but they're like three feet long. They're huge. So he ends up going into the village and he goes into the Green Man Inn, which I wouldn't understand why this island would have an inn, considering they don't allow visitors. Yeah, but it's like a pub, so right. it's a public house, and so this is where everyone comes to congregate and get drunk and sing body songs about the bartender's daughter. Yes. <laughs> so when he walks in... They all go silent. Classic. And it's funny because this kind of happened to Chris and I. Yes. When we were in... In Ireland. Ireland, though, not, not Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. But that kind of happened to us. <laughs> anyway, he goes and meets the bartender who's the owner of the inn. And he's like, I need a place to stay. And he's like, that's fine. And then uh, he introduces him to his daughter, the barmaid. And then, as Chris said, they start to sing a song about the barmaid being basically a slut. Yes. How she's basically the greatest lay you could possibly have and everyone's in love with her. Yes. And he's looking at their wall and he sees a wall of pictures of the Maypole winners. And he notices that the- the May Queens. Yes, the May Queens. So there's a reason why we would- Combine this with Midsummer. Midsummer. Oh, absolutely! I am. I'm fully under the impression that Midsummer is basically a remake of. Well, it wants to do the same thing that this did. It's yes. basically a remake of The Wicker Man. It's just. It's a different story. It is a different story, but like, it's very similar. Yes. It, it's more graphic. There's more horror to it, but it's effectively the same type of film. Yeah. Yes. And he's looking at these pictures of these girls, and he notices that one is missing. And he's like, what happened to last year's? And they tell him, oh, it must have broke. Broke. Yes. So he goes up into his room, and he's really disgusted by it. And he's going to eat there, and he asks for apples. And she says, no, we don't have any apples. And he's like, why is all the food at this place, like, all out of a package, out of a can? I thought this place was known for its fruit. And she says, I suspect they've all been exported. And he goes, what about peaches? And she says, we've got peaches. And he says, in a can? She says, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. And then she says, uh, food isn't everything you know. Right. So the people of this island are so mysterious and fun And Howie, who is our main character, the sergeant, the police officer played by Edward Woodward, is so uh, stern and stodgy, and he's super religious, and he wants to push his religion on everyone. Granted, it's the UK in the 70s, so, you know, uh, it's not surprising, but you kind of don't like the sergeant, even though he is our main character. He's kind of a dick. He's to just, people that are, like, fun and you enjoy. <laughs> he's just extremely reserved, extremely religious, and he's being put into a situation where everyone here is pagan, everyone here is open about sexuality, and it just, it disgusts him. And it, yes, it puts him in a position where it's like, why well, gotta be a dick? <laughs> right, Yeah. 
Why you gotta be so judgmental? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to, like, force... Like, it's not just about the obstruction of justice stuff. It's like their way of life offends him. Yes. And he is very vocal about that. Yes. So he goes for a walk outside in the middle of the night, and this is a weird scene. Yeah, they're just, everyone's... There's just a ton of people out there having sex. Fucking. But that's not the weird part. The weird part's that it's, like, in super slow motion. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. It was really odd. It was a really strange way of filming it. And, like, it's in the darkness, and it's almost like there's, like, a flashlight on them, kind Mm -hmm. of. But he doesn't have a flashlight. It's very strange. Right. But it's supposed to, I think, accentuate just how weird it all is and bizarre to him, to Howie. He ends up seeing a naked woman crying on a grave. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's something about this where she's also on her period. So she's like bleeding on the grave. Like it was that's hard to tell. It's part of the ritual. Like it's a thing. Like it's a reference to some sort of ri- actual ritual. Is it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's another one that we'll see later too. <sighs> okay. He comes back to the inn and everyone's like really drunk and he basically, I think he might have done this earlier, but he like stops the fun and is just like, I just want everybody to know that I'm here, here on business. and I'm a police officer uh-huh. and, and I'm not going to take each your and every shit. one of you. <laughs> uh-huh. I think you all ought to know that I am here on official business. I am here to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. As doubtless the harbour master's already told you by now. There's the girl. Her name is Rowan Morrison. Would you pass that among your customers, please? Now, if any of you can give me any idea as to her whereabouts, I'd be most grateful if you'd let me know. Let's see where you look at the photograph. Right? Let's see. Where no, I don't see her. 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 No, I don't no, I'm afraid nobody's seen her, Sergeant. And then he goes up to bed. He kind of storms off to bed and tries to go to bed, but he can't. He is disturbed in the middle of the night by Willow, the pub owner's daughter, yeah, played so by Britt Eklund. She's dancing around naked singing. Oh, did we not tell you that this movie is a musical? Because it is. <laughs> Yes. It's very much like they they I think they did make a stage production of it and I don't know anything about it but if it was not a musical they fucked up. <laughs> they should have added a couple more songs, had Howie sing something like yeah, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so she's singing and dancing around and she's naked. naked. Apparently Britt Eklund was really upset because she refused to be filmed from the waist down. And so that shot where she's up against the door and that it's a very famous shot. She's like shaking her hips and singing and you get a full view of her ass. That's not her. And they didn't tell her they were going to do that. And so she's a little bit upset about that. And like to this day, people try to get her to sign pictures of that shot and she won't sign it because she's like, that's not me. (laughs) Good for her. Yeah. But Britt Eklund smoking hot. Yes. And when I think of it from the time period that it came from, 
I can appreciate this scene, and I don't just watch it and laugh. Yeah. Modern audiences might, without the understanding of the 70s, yes. might be inclined to laugh at this scene, but... He was given the room next to hers, and so when she's dancing around and singing, she's doing she's singing specifically to him, and then she's banging on her door and the wall to get his attention, and she's singing a song about inviting a man to come over. Yes. Please come, say how do. couple times like he opens the door and then when he sees that she opens the door he closes it and but ultimately he doesn't come until she wakes him up the next morning and she's like i thought you were gonna come over to my room last night it's not like we don't talk about it she's very open about it mm-hmm. i thought you were gonna come over to my room last night this is where he tells us no i'm a very religious man and i don't think sex before marriage is appropriate i'm engaged yeah and that would not be okay she says you are very gallant and he goes it's nothing personal <laughs> I thought you were going to come and see me last night. I invited you. I'm an engaged to be married. <laughs> Does that stop you? Aye, aye. I must say, you are a gallant fellow, Sergeant. It's nothing personal. Just that I don't believe in it. Before marriage. Suit yourself. I kind of love that he felt the need. Sweet, yeah. yeah like, You're very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I would. But. <laughs> but when he says, I just don't believe in it before marriage, she says, well, then you don't belong here. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, like, is everyone in on it? I think literally everyone is in on it. Then why? Because that felt like a personal moment. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> For it to make even the remotest bit of sense while you're watching it, they include moments like this. But then knowing the twist, coming back to it, it doesn't make as much sense. So he goes out walking. Mm-hmm. He comes across a group of boys uh, outside of a maypole. And they are singing a song about reproduction. Yeah. And they're dancing around the maypole, tying the ribbons around it. He's like, what the fuck is this? He goes by them and he goes to a classroom that's being taught and all the girls are in class. And they are banging on their desks along with the song. And they're singing a song, more singing. Yeah, and and the the teacher asks, what does the maypole represent? And the kid says, the penis. Yes. Or the phallus. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a darn minute here. What the hell are you teaching these children? Now, uh, Daisy, will you tell us what it is, please, that the maypole represents? I know. I know. I know. 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 All right, then, anybody. Phallic symbol. The phallic symbol. That is correct. It is the image of the penis, which is venerated in religions such as ours as symbolizing the generative force in nature. Could could I have a word with you, please, miss? Certainly. Miss, you can be quite sure that I shall report this to the proper authorities. Everywhere I go on this island, it seems to me I find degeneracy, and there is brawling in bars, there is indecency in public places, and there is corruption of the young, and now I see it all stems from here. It stems from the filth taught here in this very schoolroom. Of course, he didn't yell at the men. No, but the point is, is that what are you teaching children? This is a classroom. It's one thing for you weirdos to be doing something 
in the fields with a maypole. It's something completely different to be openly talking about the penis. <laughs> in the middle of a class full of young people. And so he's like super offended and he interrupts the class, but he gets to what his business was, which is finding out if they know who the little girl is. Yes. And I think this is emblematic. It's in both movies of just how little respect he has for these people in their culture. He just erases stuff that's on the blackboard to write her name out on there as if they hearing it isn't good enough. So he takes out the picture to show them what Rowan looked like, and he has them pass it around, and they all say, we don't know her, we don't know her. And the teacher says she does not exist. But he notices that there is an empty desk, and he yeah. asks, who sits there? And she goes, nobody. And he opens up the desk, and inside there is a beetle tied to a string to a nail. Yeah, and this, this little girl sitting next to it says, A little old beetle goes round and round. Always the same way, you see, until it ends up right up tight to the nail. Poor old thing. <laughs> and his response is, poor old thing? Then why in God's name do you do it, girl? <laughs> poor old thing? And why in God's name do you do it, girl? So he says, I'm going to look at your attendance records. And she says, you've got to get permission from, from Lord Mr. Summerisle. Mr. Summerisle. And he's Lord like, Summer, I think you're right. I'm a motherfucking police officer, bitch. And he takes it out. Yes. And then he's like, you little liars, you despicable little liars. And you, you're the biggest liar of them all. Yeah, because he finds her name a couple days back. On that day, she's got, she's not on the, the register, but he keeps flipping and he ends up finding it. You're liars. You are despicable little liars. Rowan Morrison is a schoolmate of yours, isn't she? And that is her desk, isn't it? Well, isn't it? I think you ought to know. And you are the biggest liar of all. And so she takes him outside, and she's like, I'll talk to you outside. And so they talk outside, and she basically explains that, yes, she did exist, but it's our belief that once they're gone, they're gone, and they no longer exist. And that explains why they talk about her that way, why her mom said, I only have one daughter, why the people said at the dock said that's not her daughter, because as far as they're concerned, now that she's gone, he still doesn't know what happened to her. He still don't know necessarily that he's going to find out that she's dead. But as long as she's gone, she doesn't exist. She's reincorporated back into the the, the spirit of the earth or and the animals and she's no longer a human being and might as well have never existed. And that's also why I think her sister named a hair after her, as if her spirit is in that hair, you know? Mm-hmm. She also explains that uh, when he asks where she is, she's, you know, in the ground where your Christian sensibilities would, would like in the churchyard or whatever. She talks about the fact that he's Christian. And he's like, in a churchyard, she explains that, I don't think you could call it that anymore. Like, nobody's practiced Christianity here in generations. So he ends up walking to the churchyard mm -hmm. where he sees a woman sitting on a stone. So it's all in ruins, yeah, as you would expect it to be. Which you can go and you can see ruins out there that look exactly like this. <laughs> and a woman sits on some of the ruins. She's... Nursing her child with one hand, and so she's she's not wearing anything on her on her uh, chest, and in her other hand she's holding an egg. Yes, 
I assume this is some sort of pagan thing. It's a fertility ritual. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what that is for? She wants to get pregnant. Again? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. All right. I guess that makes him angry? Well, he gets angry when he finds this where she's supposedly buried and this gravesite and the cross is gone or there is no cross there. So he takes some wood and he forces one to be made and he lays it on the altar. And so he's like, he's really upset about the desecration that happened to this churchyard. That's what he's so pissed off about. Now they ha- they're having pagan rituals here. Like, what the fuck? Celtic <laughs> pagan. So he goes to her grave mm-hmm. and there's a dude there who takes care of it, apparently. Yeah. And he finds out from him that she's been dead for six to seven months and they grow trees from where they bury them in the ground, which is exactly what the teacher said. Yeah. She said, now she's a tree and now there is a tree growing out of her grave, which is why all the names of all the people are plants. But he can't disinter her without Lord Summer Isle's permission. For whatever reason, he ends up going to see Mae Morrison again. So she's helping her daughter Myrtle, who apparently has a sore throat. And apparent, do you remember what her cure was? Yeah, you put a frog in your mouth, you hold it in there for a couple of seconds, and then you take it out, and you have given your sore throat to the frog, and you know that's what's happened when it croaks afterwards. So see, you've given your sore throat to the frog. It's like a psychosomatic placebo cure. I think is what it's supposed to be. She asks him, can I do anything for you? And he goes, I doubt it, seeing as you're all raving mad. So good. What excellent delivery. And just how forward and blunt he is. Yes. He's like, you guys are all insane. (laughs) How dare you even suggest that you could help me with anything? Can I do anything for you, Sergeant? Oh, I doubt it. Seeing you're all raving mad. And then he's going to to Lord Summer Isle. And as he's walking there, do you remember what he sees? More fucking? He sees a naked dance. Oh, right. With Over a the fire. fire. Oh, that's a- so good because when he talks to Summer Isle about it, he's like, but they're all naked. <laughs> Summer Isle's like, of course they are. Otherwise, they'd burn their clothes. <laughs> but they, they are, are naked. Naturally, it's much too dangerous to jump through the fire with your clothes on. Just the way his interaction with Summer Isle is. Okay, so Summer Isle is Christopher Lee with the best hair. <laughs> Ever. (laughs) And this character is so fucking badass. I love him so much. He is such a fucking prick to Howie. And at this point, you kind of feel like anybody fucking with Howie is like doing a good deed. Because Howie's a prick. Yes, he wants to get to the truth. And you're kind of frustrated that you don't know what the truth is. But it's obvious that they're playing with him at this point. And so he says things like when when he tries to tell him about what's happened and what's going on and all this stuff. He says, sit down, Sergeant. Shocks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. What religion can can, can they possibly be learning? Jumping over bonfires. Parthenogenesis. What? Literally, as Miss Rose would doubtless say in her assiduous way, reproduction without sexual union. Oh, what is all this? I mean, you, you, you've got fake, fake, fake biology, fake religion. Sir, have these children never heard of Jesus? Himself the son of a virgin, impregnated, I believe, by a ghost. Do sit down, Sergeant. 
Chops are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. And like, this is the kind of conversation he has with him. And Christopher Lee is just, just, oh, he's so he perfect. Is, he is great in this. And I understand that the remake was doing a huge tone change. Yes. But I felt like Ellen Burstyn just did not do as good a job. No. I mean, I think if, okay, so the, so the remake is funnier. So why would you get rid of all the jokes that Summer Isle has? So, that, I mean, that it's, I guess it's the contrast because really Nicolas Cage in the remake is the funny one. Nobody else is. <laughs> so I guess that's why, maybe. But anyway, we'll get to the remake. I also really want to quickly say that they, when we see that naked dance in front of the fire, they are also surrounded by big stones, kind of like Stonehenge. So I yes, guess this I, will come back. So they're making kind of a, they're saying that Stonehenge existed for a fertility, uh, reasons well for whatever ritual reasons like they're gonna do rituals there yeah they're gonna do another big one later but yeah so as he's talking to summer isle he's you know saying all kinds of stuff like we are a christian country and blah 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 and (laughs) summer isle says he had his chance and he blew it yes (laughs) so good so good so basically what summer isle explains is that his grandfather uh, who was a scientist in Victorian England. He was like a botanist. He he developed all these different fruits and that he thought he could plant them somewhere in Scotland if he could find the place with the right conditions. And this island was that place. It was volcanic soil and waters that were warmed by the Gulf Stream or something. It's like these these perfect conditions to grow these fruits. And he bought the island he took it over and he got all these locals to work for him when the plants wouldn't grow because the workers did weren't confident or something like that. He started to tell them that the old gods are going to make the plants grow. It was like this Hail Mary play. And he convinced them to like start praying to the old gods to get this fruit to bear. And it eventually did. And that kind of triggered this resurgence of these pagan Celtic beliefs on this island. And they're so isolated that they just kept growing. Now, his grandfather, he freely admits, did it entirely for profit reasons. He didn't believe a fucking lick of it. But over generations, they come to accept that this is the case. And so Summer Isle, after talking to him... He says, perhaps it's for the best that you won't be here for our May Day celebration tomorrow, because yeah. I think what you would see would shock you. Yeah. Howie says, I've come I've come here for your permission to exhume Rowan's body, and he's like, oh, I was under the impression that I already gave it. I understand you're looking for a missing girl. I found her. Splendid. In her grave. Your lordship is a justice of the peace. I need your permission to exhume her body, have it transported to the mainland for a pathologist's report. You suspect uh, foul play? I suspect murder. And conspiracy to murder. In that case, you must go ahead. Lord Summerisle, I am interested in one thing, the law. But I must remind you, sir, that despite everything you've said, you are the subject of a Christian country. Now, sir, if I may have your permission to exhume the body of Rowan Morrison. I was under the impression I'd already given it to you. Ah, there's your transport. 
been a great pleasure meeting a Christian copper. Like, he's very obviously trying to make it seem like he's not standing in the way of this man's investigation in any way, shape, or form. But he's not going to just kneel to his Christian beliefs. So he ends up digging up the grave, and what does he find inside the coffin? The body of a hare. Yes. And he ends up finding out... Somehow he gets a hold of that picture, and he realizes... That when Rowan was the May Queen, the crops all failed. Yes. So he he breaks into the doctor's shop, the, the pharmacist's shop, and uses the facilities there to to expose the negatives. Because they have one person who takes the photographs, he breaks into his shop. It's like the local physician, breaks into his shop, finds the negative, and exposes the negative, and reveals that... There's Rowan. She's right there in this photo from the May Queen from last year, this last season. And yeah, there's all the crops there. They're just gone. There's just nothing there. So he's putting pieces together and- He ends up going to the library. (laughs) Yeah. And he does some research. Um, What he figures initially is that the crops failed and they're praying to the old gods again and the old gods are demanding a sacrifice. So they sacrifice the May Queen that year who's celebrated when the crops are good, but if the crops are bad, she's the one that's sacrificed. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he figures. So he goes to the library to figure out exactly what this ritual is going to be. He finds all these particular things that are supposed to happen. Uh, There's going to be some sort of like person dressed as a horse that will go after girls and uh there's going to be this the town simpleton is is the king for the day yeah and the lord is dressed like a woman all of this is done to win over the goddess of nature mm-hmm. and that there has to be a human being sacrifice on a burning pyre then they will be skinned and then they are worn <laughs> Their skins are worn, Mm -hmm. and that will create a successful harvest. Yes. And he sees a bunch of, like, so this is the the day that he's supposed to leave. So it's the day of- Yeah, so he spends another night, and then he's going to leave in the next morning to supposedly get more police. Yeah, and, like, he sees kids walking around in animal masks and kids shouting out, we carry out death from the village and stuff like that. And uh, so he gets to his plane. He actually is going to leave. He gets to his plane. And it's been sabotaged. Yeah. So he can't he can't fly it away. It won't start. He has to call back for the person that took him out there in the dinghy to come back and pick him back up again. So he decides, well, if I'm stuck here, fuck it. I'm going to find Rowan. And I'm going to prevent her actual murder. And he runs around and, like, he finds kids wearing them. And he's like, heathens, bloody heathens, take them off. He's committed. He's going to spend the next several hours and he's going to search every house. And he doesn't find her, but he does find the horse, this ceremonial horse. It's obviously just a person in a a costume, you know, running around and just fucking with him. and, And he follows him to where they're all meeting to get this parade started. And Lord Summer Isle, dressed as a woman starts giving a speech about how, you know, they're going to praise the gods and their sacrifice is going to bring the harvest, yada, yada, yada. And he goes back to the pub, to the inn, where he finds the the pub owner 
and his daughter, and they're talking, and she runs off ahead to join the festival, and he says he's got to get dressed. Well, there's a bunch of things that happen here. He, like... He's running around and like he gets into somebody's house and like he fall- finds like dolls having sex and stuff and like, you know, in positioned to have sex and he gets all disgusted yeah, by it. Yeah, this is I think when he's searching the He the walks in on a woman taking a bath. Yeah. Oh god, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like what is happening? Like, is this is a, when he's searching the town. It's a yes. bunch of random shit. Uh-huh. Like and he comes across a little girl pretending to be dead. And oh then, yeah, she falls out of the cupboard, and she has blood trickling from her mouth. No, and that's he, in the remake. No, it's in this one. I'm telling you, she falls out of the cupboard, and she has blood trickling from her mouth. And when he looks down at her, she smiles and then gets up and runs away. And he's like, "What the fuck is happening here? <laughs> it's driving him crazy." And, and then it's, he sees, it's a little fun. He sees the bar owner. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, fun, yes. But just like, what? Yes. Totally. What just happened? It's nonsense. And it's supposed to be. So he finds the barman is going to be the simpleton. So he ends up knocking him out. Yes. And taking his uh, costume, which apparently was all by design. This is what I'm talking about. Exactly. So what was the plan then, really? Like, and what if he didn't do any of this? What if he didn't come across him? Yeah. Uh-huh. So he he participates in the parade and Lord Summerisle comes by and chastises him for you're not there's dance. not enough japery dance use dance. your bladder he has a little balloon a bladder on the end of a stick basically a balloon and he hits the horse with it and they <laughs> he says you've been getting drunk at your own bar haven't yeah. you <laughs> as they're walking they end up kind of stopping and these people come out to the front and they take out swords. Yes. And they make That's a part pe- of the ritual they talk about. And they make a pentagram with these swords and everybody has to line up and go through it and put their head up and they're singing a song like chop 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 chop. And the idea is that the unlucky one just some random person will get their heads chopped off. Yeah. And Summer Isle kind of forces our main guy. Everyone takes a turn. Yeah, everybody yeah. goes through. Uh, but when he goes through, nothing happens to him. And then we see this kid the come up. The very next person. Somebody comes up. Yeah. Puts their head in and they chop. And everybody's like, oh, shit. And then she gets up. She was wearing a costume and she had this thing on her head that was supposed to look like somebody else, like an adult's costume, but it's actually a kid underneath. And she was perfectly safe. It was all part of the fun ritual where somebody gets sacrificed. And then... They get to the end, and we see the hillside going up, and there's a cave coming out, and out comes these men with Rowan. And Howie is like, oh my god, it's Rowan. And he just, like, runs through, and he fights his way through everyone, and he grabs uh, Rowan. fights is not the correct word. The correct word is one punch. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I love that that's actually in the original. Yes, uh-huh. Because that- It is not unique to the remake, guys. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, in the remake, that's probably the only thing I burst out laughing. Yeah, it's comical. It is fucking hysterical when he does it uh-huh. and the fact that they did it in the original made me really happy uh-huh. uh because that's the one part of the remake that i like yeah. um 
So that made me really happy. He just punches him. Uh-huh. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Help me. And he's like, okay, where are we going to go? She's and like, they run this through way. the cave. Yeah. And they, they're running away from all the villagers that are chasing after them. And then they get out the other side. And she runs to Lord Summerisle, who's dressed as a man again. He's not wearing the wig or the dress. And other villagers. And she's like, did I do it? Did I do it right? You did it beautifully. Yes. Did I do it right? You did it beautifully. Dear little Rowan. So it turns out that this whole thing was just to get him. Now, we've already talked about several things that have happened that have made it very strange. But when you consider the fact that, first of all, he's a police officer. Okay, everybody knows where he is right now. No, they say something to the effect of there's that there's no trail. Okay. They they delivered the letter that got him there and he's on official police business, but some I I forget what it was, but there was some kind of offhanded remark that's just like nobody knows you're actually here. Because you'll be missed. They'll come looking for me. There will be no traces. Bring him up, Oak. God. Well, it's strange that he would have gone by himself anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that did they know he was a virgin? Because apparently they that's did. one of the things you have he, to be. He fulfills four criteria. And Willow, the, the innkeeper's daughter, and the librarian explain this. They are. He's a man who would come here of his own free will. A man who has come here with the power of a king by representing the law. So he's a police officer who came here of his own free will. A man who would come here as a virgin, which we know he is. How do they know that? Well, they picked him specifically. That's why they sent him the letter. What kind of research do you have to do to find out if a person is a virgin? (laughs) I don't know. You're hyper-religious and you're engaged to be married. I guess. Uh, A man who has come here as a fool. So they had to trick him into coming there of his own free will. and How is that free will? And, though, he's playing the fool's role in the parade. I guess. So, like, it's... it. But, again, what if he didn't knock out the innkeeper? Nobody was leading him to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's... there's. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny, but, it, but they do make it super simple. There's an explanation and everything is explained. The remake... Is not as not as neat. Yeah, it's not there. As neat. They have the the same explanation, but it doesn't work. It's as not well. nearly as neat as this one is. Everything. It's a super simple explanation. They're not going to kill Rowan. They're not going to sacrifice her. They just need him to think that she will be sacrificed, and he was selected specifically. Because he's the best kind of sacrifice. And they talk about the hierarchy of sacrifices. And it's, you could sacrifice an animal, but a kid is even better. You could sacrifice a kid, but an adult is even better. Especially an adult virgin. An adult virgin with the power of the king. An adult virgin with the power of the king who comes here of his own free will, but comes here as a fool. Like, that's the perfect sacrifice. And so, they needed to ensure that the crops were going to be coming back because they are fucked if the crops die again. And he tries to play on this. He he realizes he's fucked and there's nothing he can do. He's trapped there and they're going to kill him. And he tries to talk some sense into them and he tries to talk sense into Summer Isle. And he says, 
effectively, if the crops fail, Summer Isle, next year, your people will kill you on May Day. Well, don't you understand that if your crops fail this year, next year you're going to have to have another blood sacrifice? And next year, no one less than the king of Summer Isle himself will do. With the crops fail, Summer Isle, next year your people will kill you on May Day. They will not fail. And he says back, they will not fail. But does he believe that? Actually believe that? Or does he need to convince himself of that? Yeah. That's the open question with this relationship here between these two men is, yes, how he's going to be sacrificed, but is he right? If this doesn't work and they're doing this all for naught, is Summer Isle next? That's always kind of been my problem with with movies that focus on a human sacrifice in this way. And there are many. There are very, very many. That's always been one of my questions. It's like, why would anyone be willing to do this if somebody could do it to them? But the fact remains that most, I guess maybe not most, but a lot of people all over the world in history yes. gave sacrifices. Including so, including Celtic pagans. So it is something that people used to just go along with. And yeah. there were a lot of bad things that the Roman church said to disparage the pagans, but I think there's evidence that they actually did commit human sacrifices. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, tons of tribes have done it all over the world, but... The question is, like, how on earth did they convince their people that every once in a while we got to make a human sacrifice and we're going to be one of you? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if you believe that enough, you're happy to be sacrificed. There are key things here that I want to talk about that he says. Specifically, he says, I believe in life eternal in Jesus Christ. And he says that several times. And Summer Isle says, well, then how? why aren't you happy? We're giving yeah. you a martyr's death. Yeah, we're doing the best thing we could do for you as a Christian. Yeah, like, from your beliefs, uh, this is good for you. Right, as far as they're concerned, this is the neatest possible thing. He is, when they say he's the perfect sacrifice, they mean it. Because even in his own religion, this is a good thing for him. <laughs> You'll be at the right hand of God after this. Yeah, exactly. We don't believe it, but you do. I believe in the life eternal! As promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. You will not only have life eternal, but you will sit with the saints among the elect. He says, it's time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. Yep. Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. And so they drag him off. The big dude drags him off. And apparently Edward Woodward refused to see the Wicker Man before he saw it on film. So when they drag him up over that hill and he crests that ridge and he sees the Wicker Man and he's like, oh, God, oh, Jesus. And he's exclaiming, yes, that's part of his role. And he's super religious and everything. But. That was him seeing this graven image for, like, the first time, and there's some of that actual real-life surprise there. Maybe not, oh, God, oh, Jesus, shock. Hey, don't make fun of him. I love his reaction here. No, 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 I, I, I agree, but that's not Edward Woodward's actual reaction. The surprise 
element of it is. But everything else is Sergeant Howard. Oh, God! Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, my God! Christ! No, no, be God! No, Christ! He can't, it's, it's terrifying to him. Some people might argue that he's being a little over the top, but I would disagree. Especially think, what we know about him. And what, yeah, what we know about him as a character, I think this is a phenomenal performance right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they drag him up into the Wicker Man, and they close it up, and there are animals up in there too. I love that he's like, you are about to commit murder. I don't care what you believe in. You are murdering a person. He's trying to tell the individual villagers so maybe they can turn on Summer Isle. But nope, they're just dancing and singing. Oh, they are dancing and having a great time. Uh And as they're singing and dancing, they set the Wicker Man on fire. And we hear Sergeant Howie's screams contrasting with the singing. So he ends up singing a Christian song. Yeah, uh-huh. Which I thought was a powerful little moment. Right. I like that. he's burning that. in the flames while they're singing. and Which is bullshit. You would die of um, smoke, smoke inhalation. inhalation before you ever burn to death. Yeah, I don't know how fast this may be burned enough to actually I him, guess, but. but from what I've read, whenever I've taught the Crucible, what I've read in my research is that Pretty much all of them died from smoking. Yeah, but they're on before. top of a fire. He's inside he's up of a on fire. Top of it? No, he's that whole thing burns around him. You don't have anything like that for a witch murder. I guess. Anyway. And that's the that's where the movie ends. That's the end of the movie. Yes. So the production company, uh, British Lion, who got bought out and had a different manager by the time they finished making the movie tried to suggest that they change the ending of the movie to something more upbeat. That maybe with his <laughs> prayer, a storm happens and rains fall and put out the fire. Proving that God exists and I, their pagan gods I, don't? I guess. But they said, nope, we're not doing that. And what could they do? It was already filmed. You know, they just said they weren't going to refilm it. And I kind of, I love that. I love that they did it because nothing saves you. <laughs> All those women that we burned at the stake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing no one was going to come and save there, them. There is no happy ending for them. No. And if I you think get that's people important. who are crazy in their religious beliefs, you're fucked. Yeah. And like I said back at the beginning, you are supposed to dislike this main character at the beginning. You're supposed to have an open mind to the villagers and enjoy their playfulness and be intrigued by the mystery that they're very obviously presenting. And, you know, have, like I say, have an open mind to them. And then you get to the moment where, no, they are actually going to set this man on fire until he dies. And that is the shock twist. They have to set you up for that in the first place. The fact that there's a weird village that commits human sacrifice is not the twist. (laughs) The twist is you're terrified that you actually liked these people. (laughs) That's the twist. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know... If you met all the kids that Charlie Manson hung out with, you'd probably think, eh, hippies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck the man. You know, fuck pigs. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I've always told some of my friends, one in particular that I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. And I've just been like, look, be open-minded. 
but recognize that it can so open-minded people are crazy. Yeah, uh-huh, totally. One little one last note I have is that a couple years ago, like two years ago, this place called Alton Towers opened a roller coaster. Okay. Inspired by the Wicker Man. What? Where they where they actually have a full-size Wicker Man. Where is this? That you pass through. It's a theme park in the UK. Where though? Stoke on Trent. In in Scotland? In England. And it you pass through it a couple times and it bursts into flames. How cool. Right? <laughs> I want to go there now. That's a theme park, it's a water park. Yeah, we'll have to go. That's it was fun. open when we went. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> well, we want to go back to England anyway. We need to yeah. do, we need to do England and France sometime. Yeah. But I like this movie, but it is boring. See, I disagree. I wrote down that I didn't take a lot of notes, and I wasn't quite sure if that was good or bad. I feel like it was good because I was engaged the entire time. Yeah, I got bored. Yeah, I can see why. There were so many parts that I really enjoyed about it, and I think it's a well-made movie. I think the acting is pretty great. I think the story, it's got some loose ends, but pretty good. Yeah. And I love that ending. I just love his performance there. I think it's really, really good. It went from the moment he comes out of that cave until the moment that the movie is over. I think he gives an outstanding performance. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm pretty sure I know. You saw it. I know you saw it. Is it 89? It's 88. Ah, this intelligent horror film is subtle in its thrills and chills, with an ending that is both shocking and truly memorable. Metacritic of 87. Total Film Magazine called it the sixth greatest British film of all time. Back when it came out, actually not when it came out, several years after it came out, uh, it won the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. Wow. 1978, because I think that's when it came out in America, I want to say. Uh, and the Wicker Man scene is number 45 on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments list. Do you think the movie is overrated or underrated? I'd say it's probably right on target. What would you give it? I'm going to give it an 89. Wow. That was more than I was going to give it. Just barely. I was going to give it an 88. Ah. I thought 88 is is pretty perfect. I love this movie. Ah, I thought it was really, really good. It's just a shame because it's, it's just too slow for me. I and guess we talk about the parts where the plot falls apart. And I guess I'm just not in service of the mystery. I'm not as I have ADD. I have major ADD. So you've got to work hard to keep me mm-hmm. invested the whole time. You've got to work real hard. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of just him walking around this island talking to people who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's hard to distinguish <laughs> one thing from the next, and I I totally get that. <laughs> but I just I think it's a very well made film. Yeah, and for me that always gives you a lot more points than my pure like feelings about it, which is why. Why famously Poltergeist is only 99% mm-hmm. for me because I do not think it's a perfect film. This movie, I think, is really well made, but not necessarily like the most interesting thing I've ever seen, but really good. Yeah. And Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward with their incredible performances. Christopher Lee went to fucking bat for this movie. He 
apparently paid for his own marketing tour. Like he he did the movie for free, first of all. And then he like went around and did like press interviews and stuff like that on his own dime. I wonder just why. on his own. I, I guess he really believed in the movie. I think there were a lot of people around the time it came out that were like, this is ridiculous. This is gross. What the fuck is this? And so he really, really wanted people to see it. Well, it's I think I think it's one of if not the most, it's one of the roles that he's most proud of. It's great. And he does a great job. He is an excellent Summer Isle. And that's why it's a shame that Ellen Burstyn couldn't do as good of a job. But I also, it, like I said, it's a completely different tone. So, yeah. I, whenever I think about Christopher Lee and about how such a good actor he is, I think about how... <laughs> how bad he is as Dracula. <laughs> it's hammer horror. <laughs> what I mean is how much he loves the Lord of the Rings and how he, I think, knew J.R.R. Tolkien and wanted to play Gandalf and he didn't get the role and instead he got Saruman, the villain, but he played that to the fucking rafters. Yeah. So, love Christopher Lee. I always get Sauron and Saruman Yeah, confused. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Sauron is the big eye. Saruman is the Saruman. white wizard. So that is 1973's The Wicker Man. Before we move on to its 2006 remake, Kelsey, horror trivia. Who is considered to be Hollywood's first scream queen? Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. Okay, Kelsey. What film magazine described this film as, quote, the Citizen Kane of horror movies? Fangoria? No. Not a bad guess. I wasn't surprised. I wasn't counting on you getting it, but that was a question in this book, and I thought it was worth bringing up since we just talked about it, but it's Cinefantastique. Ah. So, moving on to 2006's The Wicker Man. This screenplay was written by Neil LeBute, who also directed it. Anthony Schaefer gets writing credits, but I think he campaigned to get his name off of the movie. Because he hated the idea of it so much. Mm-hmm. It stars Nicolas Cage, Ellen Burstyn, Lily Sobieski, Kate Behan, Francis Conroy, and Molly Parker. What is this one about, Kelsey? It's the same exact story. It's the same premise. Yeah, you're right. Just that this one wants to both be a comedy as well as a feminist movie. And I find it very offensive from a feminist standpoint. Okay. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. We'll we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I, you say it's a comedy. I absolutely agree. I people say it's unintentionally funny. I disagree with that. I think there's no way in fuck that Nicolas Cage didn't know exactly what he's doing. Yeah, I guys, Nicolas Cage, say what you want. He has given great performances in his career. Okay, he is from what I can tell, a strange individual, and he likes to do strange movies sometimes. And honestly, I think that for him, this was just a comedy. Mm. I don't think he ever took it seriously at all. And I think the other actors were kind of confused. (laughs) Nick is acting like it's a comedy. The script doesn't act like it's a comedy. He has so many great line deliveries in this movie. And I feel like the rest of the cast was just kind of working in limbo because they didn't know what kind of a movie they were making. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. 
And you said at one point that they wanted to, I said, it's like they wanted to take the original and and add some comedy into it, make it a little bit darker. And then you said exactly what I was thinking at some other time in the movie. Exact, like, word for fucking word. You said, and then turn it up to 11. <laughs> I was thinking that during the movie, but it wasn't what I said to you. And then you said it, and I was like, we're like this. Just, you and me. Exactly right. So it's $3 to rent on iTunes, Google, Microsoft, and PlayStation, but $10 to buy. Should people watch this movie? It's it's kind of like the original in that I think you should see it, but for very different reasons. I yes. don't necessarily actually think that you should see this because it is a good movie. I think you should see it for two things. There's literally two points in the film, and the version we watched took one of them out. So, Yes, okay. <sighs> we watched the theatrical cut, which in a way is better. Yes, it is And in better. another way, it's worse. It is worse. If you want us... If you want to see the version that has the bees, <laughs> watch the unrated version. You don't get that in the theatrical cut. If you remember seeing it in theaters and you remember the bees, you're a liar. That version did not have the bees in it. Then I've seen it multiple you times. Have. And people have shown just that clip over and over again. <laughs> That's all it is. It's, you're conflating the original time you watched it with all the other times you've seen that scene. <laughs> But if you saw it not in the theaters after it came out on DVD, you probably did see the unrated version. And that's the version with the bees. Not the bees. We didn't even get to see it. Which is fine. We did get to see fucking Franco, the weirdo that he is. Yes. We got to see Franco in it. That's not in the unrated version. And that's why I'm saying I must have seen both versions. Because when I saw that ending, I was like, yeah, I know that ending. Uh But I also certainly know about the bees. But... Taking out the bees means also taking out the legs, and it's so much more bearable when you take that part out. It's just like, yes. oh, well, that wasn't hard to watch at all. Yes. Um, you just kind of hear it happening when they break his legs. and yeah. Right, and if you're not paying attention, you'd have no idea. <laughs> it makes it so much more bearable, but at the same time, it takes out comedy gold. Yeah. And by this time, have you committed to the fact that it's a comedy? Exactly. Because that will tip you over the edge. And I think the problem is for a lot of people, they don't understand that it's a comedy up to that point, And then they see that and they start to laugh. And that really undermines the movie. If you watched Nicolas Cage punch Lily Sobieski for basically no reason and did not burst out laughing, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> because it is the funniest thing I, like... When I first saw that, I cracked up. It was so fucking funny. It's really funny when he's in the bear suit, too. Yeah. But the, the, he kicks her, yes. he kicks her with that. But the first time he punches Lily Sobieski, you are not expecting it. And it just... Well, he punches Sister Beach first. We're getting into the plot. We're getting into the plot. <laughs> no, he punches you know, Lily he pun- first. He punches... He punches Sister Beach in one shot to yeah. steal her outfit. But that's when he's and then, in. No, and then Lily Sobieski jumps on him <sighs> and he tosses her off and he gets into a boxing stance and he punches her. <laughs> and then he like hops and kicks her, like front kicks her so right into must, the wall of the photos. So it 
Okay, so I'm thinking of Sister Beach then is the first punch. Yes. It just, uh, you're just so not expecting it, and then it happens, and you're just like, oh my god, he just punched that woman, and it is. It's in frame. It's in full frame, so like, it's hysterical. Yes. It's... It's really, really funny, and I think we just have to accept the fact that it was partially at least intentional. I don't think they were intending for you to then dismiss the movie as as quality cinema because of it. Oh, it is not quality it cinema. It isn't, and that's the thing. It's we talk really about whether or not you should bad. see it. It's not quality cinema. There's quality about it, but it's too long. Yes. It, it ramps everything you saw in the original up to 11. <laughs> yeah. It really confuses how much of this is real and how much of it is now supernatural. And which which totally fucks up the neatness of the twist in the original where it's yes. like, oh, everything's kind of explained that none of it's supernatural. It's all just a story they told. Well, this one confuses that to all hell. No, I feel like the original leaves it up for interpretation. You don't know if they're crazy or not. We can assume that we that they're crazy, but you don't know that. Right, right, right. But that's not an issue. I'm saying like the things that he sees and... The, and, and oh, yeah. The f- Everything they added fucking sucks. It it really it sucks. twists that movie and it and it makes the twist messy and Give we don't have much else to say about this movie. Are we just gonna get it over with right now? <laughs> we'll Do you want to just talk about? We'll get into it. The things that we hated and the things that we liked, which is exactly what we'll story. do. It's exactly what we'll do. It is literally the same story with a few twists, and we'll get into that after this trailer for 2006's. The Wicker Man. Edward, I know that we haven't spoken in a few years. I need your help. I need your help. I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is in danger, so now I turn to you. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. Lost your bearings? Oh, hey. Sorry. Snuck up on me there. This is private property. Do you know her? Hmm, I don't recognize this child. Welcome. My little girl is still here. She has been taken by who I don't know. I'll find her. If she existed, we would know of her. You suspect foul play. The wicker man returns. Who's the wicker man? I'm going to search every inch of this town. She burned to death. She burned to death. I need your help. Daddy. Before we get started, I would like to add... Yes, Sammy Sam 6 did recommend that we do The Wicker Man. He also said to do it with Midsummer. But I would also like to say that Miss Pizza gave us the exact same recommendation. She also wanted Wicker us Man to do and Midsummer? Wicker Man and Midsummer. Cool. Uh, but here we are doing a Wicker Man uh, remake. And we promise you guys that we will eventually do Midsummer. Eventually we will do that, yes. Also, we're going to make a real quick uh, correction to something I said before the trailer. Kelsey, clarification, it wasn't 
Anthony Schaefer who wanted his name off of the Wicker Man remake. It was Robin Hardy, the director, who was apparently given writing credit, even though he wasn't giving writing credit on the original. He was given writing credit on the remake, and he sued to have his name taken off. And that's why he wasn't listed on the list of writers uh, when we talked about who made this movie from 2006. We are not going to go through all of the plot, so I'm not going to ask you to get us started on what happens Let's just talk about what we liked and didn't like about this movie and the key differences. Okay, so some of the things that are added here. We do not start with the police officer coming to the island. Do you remember what we start with, Chris? Yes. We start with uh, Edward Malis, played by Nicolas Cage, at home. Not at home, but at home in California. At his job on, I guess, Highway Patrol? (laughs) Which, okay, so at least, I don't know the whole, like, jurisdiction issues in the original where dude's from England, but he is an officer in the UK, which Scotland is a part of. So I don't know exactly what his jurisdiction is there. They set up specifically in this movie that this island is in Washington, and he's a like a highway patrol officer in California. He has zero jurisdiction and he doesn't give a fuck and they point that out and he's he still keeps flexing his badge it's so weird well remember they want him to come of his own accord yeah, uh-huh. anyway what yeah so we're we're at home in california and we get to see some stuff because the first one starts with him arriving on summer isle right here instead we see him at his home there is one quick very random thing I would like to point out before we talk about what actually happens here. Did you notice what he was buying inside the coffee shop? Yeah, self-help tape. It called Everything's Okay. So he listens to affirmation tapes. Uh-huh. They make that a point. Yes, because they steal it from him. Right, so later <laughs> they will steal those tapes from him. That's the only two times that they will get brought up. Uh-huh. Why? I don't know. Why do we need to know that this character needs self-help tape? Because it's an interesting insight into the type of character that he is. But what does that have to do with the movie? It's character building, Kelsey. But but he doesn't need (laughs) affirmation. He's full gung-ho all the time. Well, maybe that's why he's full gung-ho all the time. Oh, my God. Anyway, (laughs) he is... The dick on the cu- on the highway telling you not to go so fast. Right. And so, like I said in the original, where they, they build it up to where you kind of don't like the main character because he's, like, super religious and pushes his religious beliefs on everyone else and tries to make it, like, an official thing. It sets it up to where you don't like the main character, only to then twist it on you at the end when all of a sudden he's the victim of these people that you did kind of like. In this one, they do that by way of... He writes people tickets. And that's like the first thing he does is he writes somebody a ticket. Mm-hmm. So he pulls over this lady who has a daughter in the back seat. And the daughter has thrown her doll out the back seat window. Uh-huh. He- and like Black Widow picking up Captain America's shield, he leans down on his motorcycle and swipes up the doll off the road. Yes. So... She, he comes up to the window. She goes, I'm so sorry. She's been acting up ever since lunch. And the little girl says, I'm bored. And Nicolas Cage says, I understand that, honey, but we all need to be safe. 
Okay, and he gives the doll back to her. And while he's talking to the mother, the girl throws it out again. Into the middle of the road. And Nicolas Cage smiling. Oh, I'll get it. Like, really? No, it's okay. I think, I mean, because it's a little girl, it's a pretty lady, like, you know, she's apologetic. Anyway, he goes to get the doll, and when he leans down to pick it up, (laughs) in the middle of the street, which apparently he wasn't looking, this giant truck comes driving and swerves to avoid him, and instead hits this station wagon. (laughs) And flips, and then the station wagon catches fire, and then he tries to get the little girl out. But she just stares at him. Uh Uh-huh. And then it blows up. And so, needless to say, he's a little fucked over this, and he takes a leave of absence. Little girls need all the saving, and I, like, this will never get, he'll have flashbacks to this, but it will never get brought up again. Did this actually happen? That's the thing. I don't think it did. (laughs) Is this a hallucination brought on by the people of Summer Isle? Okay, so they make a point later on in the movie to show you that the woman police officer that he works with and visits him in his home is actually... A member of Summer's Isle, which, by the way, is the name of the island in this one. I wrote down, I like that they changed the name of the island. Summer Isle was hard to say. They changed it to Summer's Isle. You're such a typical American. I looked it up, and apparently they changed the name because they thought it would be easier for Americans to pronounce. Yeah. Yeah. They totally did. So anyway... Yes, she works in Summer's Isle. The lady she he lives works in, with? Yes. The cop was like, oh, good to see you back. And he's like, I'm not really back. Yes, she's on the island at the end when they reveal the fact that this was all a plot, that they've been working with him for a while. When do they show her? I didn't... She When they're taking off their masks. Did he say anything? No, well, he's being attacked. <laughs> and he's confused and he's finding out that all these people are against him. Yeah, this movie... I don't know. I think... <laughs> Yeah, it's so bizarre. So what you're telling me is you you since you pinpointed this man, you got somebody to go through to move to California to go through the police training program to happen to get installed in his office. Like it's it's absurd. It is absurd. It is absurd. And I mean, when you look at all of the absurd things, it's just like they did they did not mean for this to be taken seriously. Yeah. Totally. So I wrote down also that it's weird that they go with the supernatural or mental disturbance angle. There's no bodies in the car. The car was unregistered. But of course, the woman told him this. So maybe that's just more gaslighting. Because Wicker Man is basically gaslight the movie. Uh, In the original, everything is so very human and the explanation is very human. In this, there's this whole thing where he's disturbed. Mm-hmm. And it gets to him, and it impacts the plot, and there's no way that they could have controlled this. <laughs> it's just weird things to show us. Yeah. Like when he jumps in the water to find Rowan underwater, and she's not really there. So he's an unreliable narrator. Yes, very much so. He also goes to his buddy cop to tell him where he's going, so people know where he's headed. So it's it's even less clean than it was in the original. <laughs> Well, less clean. You stated that there was a, some line at some point in the first film that said, 
Nobody's coming for you. That doesn't mean jack shit. Well, it implies that they took care of something, that they're aware of it, and that it's part of their plan. So at least there's that. This doesn't even have that. At least we invented the whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God we invented the, you know, whatever device. And then we also see a little girl who looks like the girl who was in the car when he's on the ferry yeah. to Summer's Isle. And she gets hit by a truck while on the ferry. Yes. It scared me half to death the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> he also has a personal relationship. I yeah. generally hate it when... In mystery movies, they need to raise the stakes by making it personal for the investigator, and it's so annoying, because then the investigator makes stupid fucking mistakes because they're personally invested, and it it generally degrades the quality of the mystery. That's why I love shit, like, you know, simple Fun shit like Murder, She Wrote or a Poirot mystery where it's not fucking personal and you can really make the mystery shine. They don't do that at all in this. It is very personal. In fact, it gets more personal as the story goes. At first, it's just he had a relationship with Willow. She disappears on him. They were going to get married, but she runs away and she goes back to Summer's Isle. That's why she's there. She writes him saying, I lost my daughter. What? You have a daughter? Turns out later on in the movie that it's his daughter. Yes. Well, no, she tells him right away. Not right away. They have a whole conversation in sitting somewhere and he find it's like halfway through the movie. That's when he gets re- that's right like right before he starts like really searching the town for her. It, there's several oh, conversations. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's very clear and obvious. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That it's his daughter. Oh yeah. She just doesn't actually come out and say it until halfway through the movie. It also makes the relationship make a little bit more sense because they had a relationship that got engaged, she left, then she got pregnant, then the daughter grew up, then the daughter disappeared. The actress was 32 when they made this movie, so the question is, and they had a, like a whole relationship, right? Before all this happened. So how old were they when they first started dating. Well, Rowan's like 12. This is what, no, she's younger in this. She's younger in this and it's his kid. And that like condenses the timeline of their relationship a little bit. So she was probably in like her mid to late 20s. Which is perfectly It makes so acceptable. much more sense. Yes. Yeah. Then when, how she's older in the original. Oh, I said when, uh, when he jumps in the water to find Rowan and... Then he wakes up and he's on the dock again. And then he looks down and Rowan's in his arms. And then he wakes up again. <laughs> it's a double fake. And when he goes to the plane to make a call, he just jumps in the water. There's a boat right next to the dock. <laughs> I just love this little shit. It makes me laugh. So, like, I'm having a good time watching this movie. I would like to point out that this movie... Makes zero sense when it comes to its whole explanation of how they do this. Let me explain why. So we have Willow, who is obviously a conniving, two-faced, horrible person. She plays it as just like, oh, I'm aloof. Until the end. (laughs) Yes. When we uh see her with Lili Sobieski. Yeah. But anyway, so she is this evil woman, Okay who has the ability to appear demure and sweet and understands 
Nicolas Cage's culture, even though she was supposedly brought up on this island and never had any outside influence except for when she went and saw Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Now, well, they like, they have this little cultural thing, kind of like the Amish, where when you turn a certain age, you get to take a trip into the quote-unquote normal culture. That The idea is you're supposed to come back eventually and then recommit to the Amish way of life. So they have a similar sort of thing, but in this way, they're sending people out specifically to live a life amongst other people and maybe find somebody to bring back to be sacrificed. Right. And that's from the get-go. Whereas in the original, it's about, we found out who you were and we sent communication to the outside world to get you to come here. Exactly. This is from the get-go, we knew we were going to have to prepare people. And some people say this is a mistake because how did they know they needed to sacrifice somebody before the crops failed? They don't know. They just keep this stuff in their back pocket for exactly. when they might need it. They might not ever need to call on the men yes. ever again. But here is the several problems with this with this idea. Okay. Okay. First of all, it becomes c- clear that only the pretty girls are sent out. Yes. Because Like Sister, Sister Beach, Beach never got sent out. Yes. Yeah, Sister uh-huh. Beach never got sent out. So like the joke is that he says I just like a room and a meal. Can you swing it? Swing what? Is that some kind of city talk? <laughs> manage. That's what he means. Can we manage to put him up? Well, since he didn't take the hint and leave, I suppose we'll have to. Yeah. Yeah, she just doesn't understand his turn of phrase, his colloquialism. So clearly it's only the pretty girls. That's interesting that you found that connection because you're absolutely right. <laughs> In addition, uh-huh. we meet the next girl who's going out into the world to do this, and that's Lily Sobieski. Uh-huh. And she does it with Willow at the end. So Willow kind of becomes like her mentor through this process? I guess. Did Willow have a mentor? I don't know. But there's nothing wrong with this. It's just the reality of it. But Okay, so at some point, Lily Sobieski is alone with... Nicholas Cage. They're like at the top of the stairs. She's carrying a bushel of something and he's like, did somebody take my tapes? <laughs> and Lily kind of has this simpleton feel to her. I see. This is the thing. It's gaslighting. I think she's just fucking with him. No, no, no. But I'm making a point here. Okay. And he's kind of, he's being nice to her because she seems like a simpleton or whatever. And then she goes... When you leave... Oh, this is outside, yes. Uh When you leave, will you take me with you? Now... She's testing out her ability to seduce and control men. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we learn that at the end. And the idea at the beginning is that we're supposed to think, "Uh uh-oh. Something's wrong here and she needs to get off the island. She's trying to get away, uh right? I'm totally fine with that. I like that subversion of our expectations. That's fine. However, she says it again in the ending that's in the theatrical cut. Uh-huh. When you leave, will you take me with you to to, to like to leave the bar right. to take you to take me to your home? Yeah, right. So apparently, there's some sort of educational process of things to say yeah. to men to make them want you. Maybe, maybe this is what Willow told Malus when she met him. Right, but so what do? 
what does that mean for the ugly girls? Where does their education end? What do they learn about their, like... There's probably supplemental instruction for the women who are going to the mainland. That's my guess. It's so weird that you're hung up on this part. Because it means so much about their society. Yeah. It gives so much into what their education is and the differences in their education. Right, but I also and don't think... there is clearly a caste system going uh, yeah, on. Yeah, no, see, I don't think there is... I don't think that they're... The I men think, yes. are at the bottom of the barrel. Yes, oh, absolutely. They get their tongues cut out. Like, they're fucked. There's but that one later, guy that, uh, uh, you know, so, like, he can't talk. But then later, Ellen Burstyn will say, breeding. Yes. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you send all of your women out. What the fuck? What is... Where is the logic? They don't send I, all their women out. I want to... Un- oh, it's Sister Beach. <laughs> 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 Douglas Vance. <laughs> no, but the point oh, is... I get it now. I see I don't it now. Think, I don't think they value attractiveness on the island. Obviously they do. And no, I don't think they do. Not in their culture. That They recognize that the mainland does. And so to, to Sister Beach, <laughs> she kind of shrugs it off because uh, the doctor, played by Francis Conroy, Dr. Moss... Makes fun of her, just like they make fun of the innkeeper in the original. Like, you know, you keep growing, we're going to have to let out the costume. And Sister Beach is like, yeah, it shrinks every year or whatever. And it's just this fun little back and forth conversation. I don't think the people on the island give a fuck, really, about looks. They recognize that the mainland does, and so that's how they pick them to go to the mainland. I don't even think Sister Beach wants to go to the mainland. This this is a challenge that maybe you'd feel honored to be selected for, maybe, but you'd probably be thankful if you weren't selected to go. You know what I mean? And this is a whole like there could be a spin-off comic book. There is all enormous about- <laughs> like I just want to know all about their, their Right, but custom. it's not a but it's not a plot hole. There's nothing wrong here. It's just an interesting world building idea. Anyway, can I talk through the string of weird things he does leading up to the end of the movie? Okay. I have this written down in this order. First of all, there's the How did it get burned? How did it get burned? How did it get burned? <laughs> Where he has the doll that belonged to Rowan and he's and he's thrusting it in Willow's face. How did it get burned? How did it get burned? <laughs> it's hers. Tell me! I yes, I, I think it's yeah. How did it get burned? How'd it get burned? How'd it get burned? How'd it get burned? I don't know! He pulls a gun on the teacher, who, by the way, apparently has a twin. And he pulls a gun on the teacher and is like, step away from the bike! (laughs) So he can steal her bike. Get off the bike. Get off the bike. Step away from the bike. He punches Sister Beach in the face. It is comedic gold. So good. Then he fights Lily Sobieski like we talked about before the trailer. She jumps on his back. He throws her off. He squares up against her. He pops her with a quick jab. And then he jump kicks her into the wall of, of, of photos. And she falls knocked out. When he finally sees Rowan tied to the post to be burned at the stake, which is not really going to happen, and he's dressed up as the bear, ah! 
so good. He's just in a bear costume and he has to run by her as opposed to like juking her or anything. He just punches her, just total hooks her while he's wearing a bear costume. It's comedy Sister fucking Beach, gold. What's the problem? <laughs> they did the same thing it's in the so original. Good. That's taken out of the original it's as well. So good. In this version, they don't show his legs being broken or him being beaten. And they don't but show the beats. But you hear him say. But you hear him, my legs, my legs. And then you hear the sound of them crushing but his But we don't legs. see it. Prepare the drone. No, no, no. Ah! Taking out that moment, like I said, made this movie way more bearable. Yeah. But here's the thing. People laugh at the bees, but tell me that isn't fucking terrifying. It is fucking terrifying. It is hilarious the way he says it. Yeah. The, not bees, the, bees. the bees, the bees, not the bees. Um, okay. What yes. else is he supposed to scream? <laughs> well, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! Oh, my eyes. Ah! Like, his reaction is funny, but what they're doing is so fucked up. Yeah. Like, I remember... He's allergic. I remember seeing that scene for the first time and just being like... Ah! Oh, we Um, haven't established that here they grow honey. Yeah. Instead of fruit. Yes. So they're harvesting... growing honey, but they are... Yes. They're beekeepers. Yes. (laughs) But But they export honey, and that's how they make their money. (laughs) <laughs> uh, instead of the 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 fruit so their harvest their bad harvest is that they don't the bees aren't making the honey mm-hmm. and we find out that he's allergic to bees pretty early on he kills a bee and they're like oh my beach is like now why on earth would you do something like that kind of like what he says with the beetle in the original yes and he says, sorry, I'm allergic. Yeah. That scene, even though it's funny, it's really hard to watch. And that's what I remember the most from this film. It's what most people mostly remember. Yeah. Taking that out makes it more bearable to watch, but also makes it a lot less interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's this comedic element uh, to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I agree. Oh, there's also something interesting that happens around here. When he tells Summer Isle in the original, like, oh, yeah, your crops failed. And he's like, yes, spectacularly, or whatever it is he says. He talks to Ellen Burstyn, who is the lady Summer's Isle, about how they failed. And she mentions that, yes, and they failed before. This is not the first time they've done this, implying that their human sacrifice, number one, that's why they're prepared and why they set up him long before the crops ever actually failed this time in order to sacrifice him to to fix this. It implies that they've done it before and it worked, which adds this whole new element. Again, there's this supernatural and mental disturbance angle, like the both these angles that they add to the movie, it becomes less human and more... Anything can happen. But it is it is interesting to establish that this is old hat for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the crops failed. They failed before. We've sacrificed before. They bounced back. Mm-hmm. We know this is going to work. It removes that element from the original where it's like, next time they fail, they'll come for you, Summer Isle. 
True. Yes, it does take that part out of it. It does not, though, confirm anything. No. Just because you, it could have just been a bad year. Yeah, it could have just been a bad year. But the fact that they've done it before reinforces their belief in the fact that it'll work this time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it explains why they were prepared to have a sacrifice well before the crops ever failed. I mean, but also, clear. I mean, obviously they need new genetic material or they'd all be incest. Right, but they keep the men on the island for manual labor and breeding. They don't really need – okay, it's a too small of a community to not eventually yeah, corrupt the bloodline. Yeah, they need outside you, DNA. You're right. You're right. Every <laughs> once in a while you need to inject the the outside DNA. You're right. Why did the women kill the pilot? Because he willingly took Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's a little weird. At first he won't do it and then Nicolas Cage bribes him. But I don't believe the bribe. What do you mean you don't believe the bribe? I think he was supposed to do it. You're telling me that he risked his business for $100. But then you're right. Why would they kill him? Right. It's conflicting. It's that thing that the first one kind of suffers from a little bit where based on the original premise that there's something sinister going on and he wasn't supposed to be there and and the pilot wasn't supposed to take him there, that yes, they would punish the pilot. Then you find out later that no, they planned for him to be there all along. It was all part of their plan. That retroactively makes the killing of the pilot not make any sense. Unless they expected the pilot to refuse him and he would have to find some other way of getting there. Right, yeah. Or they're like, hey, the pilot, this awful man... We can count on him to fuck up and bring him here, but he still needs to be punished for it. Maybe. Yeah. But again, I don't I don't believe that he would fuck up his business for $100, let alone, I mean, even if he didn't believe that he was risking his life, he had to believe he was risking his business. Well, more than that, that was their way of getting supplies from the mainland? Yeah, now what do they do? Yeah. Uh-huh, that's a good point. Uh, so yeah, he's burned alive. I mean, the, we've gotten through the big parts of the movie at this point. And we said before the jump that at the end of the credits or actually before the credits, there's like this little stinger moment where Lily Sobieski and Kate Behan go back to the mainland and they run into these two gentlemen and they're trying to seduce them, etc. What other stuff did you want to talk about, Kelsey? I think I said earlier that it bothers me that this movie is in the form of a feminist film. I don't think the film is feminist. You don't think that the I think movie... the island is matriarchal, and I think there's yes. a difference. I don't think it needs to be making a statement of any kind in order for this to ha- exist. You don't think it's saying something bad about matriarchs? I think you could read into that, but... I mean, in the original, it was patriarchal. Are they saying something bad about patriarchs? No. It's really sad that we have to make such a big deal when there's a woman in charge. You're right. You're right. You're right. But we do. Uh Uh-huh. And so it does contribute to how the public responds to – yeah. But I don't think it's that – It's offensive to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Because so rarely do we get a matriarchal society. Uh Uh-huh. Now we get one in the form of we don't respect our men, we treat them like second-class citizens, and I feel like the feminist portion is supposed to be saying, 
screw you patriarchs, you've always treated women like second-class citizens, now we're gonna do it to you. Which is not what feminism is. Feminism is about equality. Yeah. And so it's offensive to watch this movie where it's like, hey, we have a matriarch, and oh, look at that, she's evil. Yeah, of course she is. Yeah. Of course. Of course a woman leading society would be evil, right? Exactly. Right, but that's the thing. I I, mean, I see what you're saying. I think you're right. To the extent that I think it is damaging. I don't think this is the movie doing it, though. I think this is... This is the impact it would have. I don't think that's the point of the movie, though, because it's it, 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 you could just say it's offsetting the fact that there's Lord Summer Isle. Now there's a Lady Summer's Isle. Like, don't you notice that once we're on his side, it's like, you bitches and she's yes. evil. Yes, he does call them all bitches. bitches. You bitches. But the thing is about the matriarchal society is that really what they're doing is they're mimicking bee society. Where Which there's is a matriarchal society that, where the no, men are all subservient to the That's woman. my point. But there, but there's a reason there's a plot reason why it's like this. Is there is a queen, and then there are the worker bees and the drones and the men doing all that work building. So there there is it's not just a random sort of thing to where we can say you bitches. It ties into the essence of the plot. It doesn't make you wrong. I still think you're right. I'm just saying there's an explanation for why it is that way. But also, a lot of this movie, you are kind of, you know, this movie doesn't do it as well as the original, where you're on their side for most of it until the twist. I don't think you are as much in this movie. Yeah, because... Willow I think you're is, right. Yeah. Willow's all over the place about whether or not you're on her side. And you're like, just say something. And you're just as frustrated as he is. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original, he gets really frustrated about things that you're not frustrated about. And mm-hmm. you're kind of pissed at him for being frustrated about. Mm-hmm. So it does reinforce this whole, no, nah, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have that element because they build it up as much more of this supernatural mystery. Yeah. And, and the fact that, that coupled with the fact that it's – a matriarchal society, it really does kind of undermine that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think you're right. Really bothered me. At some point, somebody says, you don't understand. He goes, that's exactly right. I do not understand, but I will. <laughs> well? You don't understand. That's exactly right. I do not understand, but I'm going to. Mr. Malus, no one is lying to you. It's just, oh, it's so filled with such bad dialogue. Yeah. They offered Edward Woodward a part in this movie, and he actually liked the script, which is saying something because most people don't, but he couldn't do it. So they changed the name. They changed two names. First of all, Nicolas Cage's character, Malus, his name is Edward, after Edward Woodward, and Rowan is no longer Rowan Morrison and Willow Morrison. They're Rowan and Willow Woodward, after Edward Woodward. At one point... I think it's the teacher making fun of him is like, do I have your permission or whatever? Because he's been throwing his weight around. Yeah. And he goes, you have my permission to stay out of the fucking way. You wait a minute. Do you have permission to charge in here and just destroy No! I don't need anybody's goddamn permission. We're going to search every inch of this town in the next three hours. And anybody who interferes will be brought up on murder charges. You got that? You have my permission to stay out of the fucking way. Such great lines like that. (laughs) 
a lot of this movie is just flashbacks. Like, so we see the same scenes like four times. Yeah. Especially that girl getting hit by the car. But we see that like four times. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to say, because it's just a weird thing that I noticed. When this movie started, I wrote down the note, immediate negative points for the titles being in papyrus font. <laughs> and then I read something to the effect of, oh, the typeface in the opening credits is identical to that of the original Wicker Man. And it's <laughs> a reference to the original Wicker Man. And I said, no, that is not true. I don't think that's true. <laughs> because I I wasn't upset about the original Wicker Man, even though... You know, it took place in the 70s before Papyrus was this trendy sort of font. Like, it's like that, I think it was an SNL sketch where Ryan Gosling is obsessed with the fact that all they did for the Avatar title was just write the word Avatar and change the font to Papyrus. <laughs> James Cameron, how lazy is that? Like, you know, so it, it was, it, it's in the 70s, so it gets kind of a pass, but... I, it would, but I'm like, no, I don't think that's true. And so I went back and I compared the fonts. I actually did this. <laughs> In the first one, they use a font called Codex. It's modified a little bit, but it's called Codex. In this new one, it's not Codex specifically. And you know the first way I noticed that it's not Codex and it is, in fact, Papyrus? How? The bees. <sighs> the bees are different. <sighs> Very good, baby. Very good. I'm very proud of you right now. So dumb. I mean, like, Papyrus has this reputation, like, it's basically like Comic Sans. It's the one that people, when you're when you're scrolling through the different fonts in Word, when you're making a sign for your bake sale, <laughs> and it's the one that looks the coolest, you know, but it's still really readable. That's the problem, though. It just, it's overused and it's cliche. All right, so Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 34. 15. Holy shit. Puzzlingly misguided, Neil LeBute's update to The Wicker Man struggles against unintentional comedy and fails. See, this is the thing. They're making this assumption that it's unintentional, and I don't know where they're getting this from. It's There are, there are obvious jokes in this script. <laughs> How is this unintentional? Because no one else but Nicolas Cage understood that it was a comedy. I think you're right. We'll get there. It has a Metacritic of 36. Okay. Much closer. Cinema score of an F. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, bad. There were only two movies that were released in 2006 that got an F cinema score. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. The Wicker Man, 2006. Yes. And... We covered this movie before we ever did cinema scores. Bug. <gasps> Bug got an F. That's not okay. <laughs> see not what I mean? Okay. But I can totally see why people would exit this movie and go, this movie fucking sucked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Bug, I think a lot of people just didn't, probably didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah, you're probably right. No, oh, we just saw a bunch of people act crazy for two hours. <laughs> yeah, totally. Nicholas Cage says that he and Labute knew they were making some sort of absurd comedy, adding that element to the movie. That's what he claims. I wrote down that he is actually legitimately funny in this movie, his character and Ooh. his performance, Nicholas Cage. I think he's legitimately 
funny. He reminds me a lot of when he was in The Vampire's Kiss. And, and you think like, that wasn't supposed to be funny? Yes, it was. This is my point. I get that. It's He's, not funny, though. Like, I it know is. that it's supposed I to be, it but is. it's not. I think I think Nicolas Cage should stop doing these weird sort of medieval magic movies that he always ends up doing and should do actual comedies. I think he should do actual comedies. Well, he has done comedy. Yeah, when he was in his 20s. <laughs> he did also say that he kind of, he said there is a mischievous mind at work in The Wicker Man. Ultimately, he said, I might have known that the movie was meant to be absurd. Saying that after the fact is okay, but to say that before the fact is not. Because you have to let the movie have its own life. It might just be his way of making excuses for the fact that he didn't know it was actually absurdist black comedy. I'm, th- his performance shows me that he means it to be comedic. Right. That does not mean it is funny. It just means that he intended it to be. He did. He, he like, streamed an interview with fans online. Yeah. Like, where they could ask him questions. Yeah. And when somebody asked him what role from his career he would most like to revisit, this is what he said. I would like to hook up with one of the great Japanese filmmakers, like the master that made Ringu, and I would like to take the Wicker Man to Japan, except this time, he's a ghost. (laughs) Yeah, he, yeah, he's making fun of it, like, I, (laughs) which is fine, and Nicolas Cage is allowed to... To feel that way, it, the problem is you took a movie that had a major cult following. Yeah. You took a movie that meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. And you turned it into a joke. Well, that's why Christopher Lee had this to say about it. He said he doesn't believe in remakes. You can make a follow-up to a film, but to remake a movie with such history and success just doesn't make sense to me. And we talked about how personally invested Lee was in the original film. But ultimately, I think a lot of what people don't like about this movie rests on the shoulders of the original, and they just don't want to admit it. <laughs> the movie is weird, and the 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 citizens of Summer's Isle act bizarre and aloof, and you don't know what's going on, and is she dead? Wait, she's not dead? Wait, her spirit's dead? Wait, she's going to be sacrificed, so they're just saying that she never existed? And it's all weird, and every one of those elements I just said is in the original. (laughs) But people fucking love the original, it's a sacred cow, and you can't say anything bad about it, so instead, the only thing you have left to talk about is Nicolas Cage's performance in the weird comedy, which, to me was a bright mark on this movie. It was a great thing about it. And it made me really enjoy it, how, how in Nicolas Cage's own words, absurd it was. But I, I think absurd was the wrong way to go. Maybe. I think if you wanted to- But I don't think that's why people didn't like it. I think, I think it is like why it they didn't like it. Because it was so weird. I think they didn't like it because they didn't understand that it was an absurdist comedy. And I think going absurd was the wrong way. If you wanted to make it into a black comedy- I would have, that would have been better. And I think that you should have let everyone in the cast know it was a black comedy. Because that really would have helped. No, but I think, I'm, I'm not saying all of it. I'm not saying the reason. I'm saying part of it, a lot of it, is elements from the original that contribute to people's confusion. And when people get confused, they get angry. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, do you think this movie is overrated or underrated? At 15 Rotten Tomatoes. 
Kelsey, do not think too hard about this. I guess it's slightly underrated. Oh my god. This is going to be a theme going forward with all the Nicolas Cage movies we watch. How many more Nicolas Cage horror movies are there? I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 30. It made me laugh a couple times. So I'll give it a 30. This is going to be on an end of the year list. It is. It it's going to be on the end of the year list. It I'm, is a I'm gonna, terrible movie. I'm going to give it a 65. Oh, my God. I love how weird and hilarious it is. It is bad, but I thoroughly enjoy myself. It's not enough to give it in the 70s or 80s to make up that much for how bad a movie it is, but I thoroughly enjoy myself every time I watch it this movie. It barely makes that 30 for me. I, Which is funny. It's maybe just our different way of evaluating the quality of a movie. I get it, but it's going to end up on an end-of-the-year list next year. If it weren't for, if it weren't for him punching, I can't. How is that not an immediate 20 points right there? It is. I think it has a 30. Um, that moment, oh, my God. I still remember the first time I saw it. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I just burst out laughing because I just so was not expecting that. Yeah. Oh, love this movie. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. That was our double feature. The Late Night. 1973's and 2006's The Wicker Man. The Wicker Men? The Wicker Mans. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are going to finish out two of our trilogies. Oh, yay! We're going to finish them out. We're finally going to watch Army of Darkness. Fuck yes. Which tons of people have been... Just like, when are you going to watch Army of Darkness? I want to so, see Army of Darkness. So many of the Evil Dead memes are actually Army of Darkness. You know, yes. This is my boomstick. Yes. Um, Klaatu, Verata, Nikto, Nikto. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, lots of people have been asking us about this. So we're finally going to watch it. Um, sorry if I'm not naming you by name, but there were a lot of people. And then also, a lot of people have been wanting us to see this, and it'll finish out the three versions of it, I guess. The Pet Cemetery remake. Okay. And I can finally express how thoroughly disappointed I was Maybe by this movie. your mind will change. You might be right. You might be right. I might be more open to it now that it's not kind of a gut punch, which is what it was. So disappointed by that movie. And we'll talk about the good and the bad. Because it wasn't all bad. As far as I remember, it was all bad. But Jason What's-His-Face is in it. (laughs) Who just can't save a movie. And the world literally forgot this movie ever existed. And it's like a year old. (laughs) He has that effect on movies. Like the one movie. What one movie? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's it. People forget he's in it all the time. (laughs) I feel bad for him because I like him. But he is just that guy. We talk. Listen to our Winchester episode. We'll talk about it. Anyway, that's next week. Army of Darkness and the Pet Cemetery remake. Awesome. Closing out some trilogies. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com. We have a list of every episode we've ever posted, as well as every movie we've ever covered in a nice alphabetical visual postered list. 
Don't forget to follow us in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help there. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram now at Pod Cemetery. And we throw a lot of extra stuff on social media. So a lot of stuff we don't talk about or is more visual in nature. Corrections to maybe things we get wrong in an episode. If you find anything wrong, you can also write us there as well. Share us with your friends. That's a huge help. And you know what? Thanks to each and every one of you for listening in the GD first place. We love you all. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Phallic symbol, phallic symbol, phallic symbol. Hello. <coughs> you can take our advice or leave it, but when you get back, when you get back, when we get back. And she is taking care of her other daughter, Myrtle, um, who I guess is not named after a plant. So what I said earlier was no, bullshit. I think, I think Myrtle is a reference to a plant of some sort. Is it? Let me see. <laughs> it's a genus of plant, evergreen shrub. Oh. Yeah. So one's a tree and one's a shrub? Well, there are there are a bunch of different things. A shrubbery! A shrubbery. <laughs> anyway. He's in my photographs. Look at this photograph. What are the people who can't do electronics? Old people? <laughs> Spoilers for Midsummer. If you believe that enough, you're happy to be sacrificed. You Mid-summer may not want it to be you. doesn't agree with you. <laughs> well, there are those guys that walked in willingly. Yeah, and then they're screaming when they're dying. Well, because they're dying. We're spoiling Midsummer here. But you don't know what's going on, so it's okay. We're not going to put that in there. <laughs> I'm just saying. Spoilers for Midsummer. I'll put it at the end.